0: Hey, it's Josiah. Before we get started with this episode, I have something very special to share with you. You know, we've delved deep into what it means to be an Enneagram Five together for the past few years, especially with our friend of the show, Sam Greenberg, or as many of you know her, the Enneagram Sexpert. And now we wanna go even deeper with you. We've worked together with Sam to craft an online workshop exclusively for type fives, to help you unlock the secrets of connection with every Enneagram type. This is not just another generic workshop, it's a deep dive into understanding and nurturing relationships tailored specifically for your unique perspective. Imagine getting practical, actionable insights on connecting with each of the nine Enneagram types all through the lens of a type five. Sam's going to guide you on how to build meaningful relationships, sharing strategies and insights specifically designed for fives. I've seen firsthand how Sam's insights can transform understanding and communication. And I'm so excited to partner with her to bring this exclusive workshop to you. Whether you're looking to deepen current relationships or navigate new ones, this workshop is a game changer for five seeking genuine connection. Spots are limited, and trust me, you don't want to miss this. So head over to Enneagram5.com connection to secure your place and begin your journey towards richer, more authentic connections. Once again, go to Enneagram5.com connection or visit the link in the description to get your ticket to the workshop today. So since the purpose or really our motivation behind this show is to go past the stereotypes of five and really dig into what it's like to navigate life as an Enneagram five. So maybe a good place to start might be, what are some of the stereotypes? Yeah, I like that. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Or maybe before we do that, maybe we should like say what a five is. (laughs) Yeah. Do you want I've got so I've got the uh, the Enneagram Institute. I've yeah. got that pulled up. Do we want to start there? That's what I have
1: too. I have, well, I have the wisdom of the Enneagram pulled up as well, which is all the same people. Yeah. Let's do that. I guess we can start off on the the base knowledge that if you're listening to this podcast, you know what the Enneagram is and hopefully you're identifying as a five or have a five in your life or are just curious that why we made a podcast about one type (laughs) because I don't think anybody's doing that because we're narcissists. We are. We're completely full of ourselves. (laughs) We think we're the best. Do you want to read or do you want me to read? You start out. You've probably got the, the, a better summation over there. I've got more okay. like tidbits pulled apart. Sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So fives are alert, insightful, and curious. They are able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills. Independent, innovative, and inventive. They can also become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. They become detached yet high-strung and intense. They typically have problems with uh, eccentricity, nihilism, and isolation. At their best, they're visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time, and able to see the world in an entirely new way. Sounds pretty nice. I like that. (laughs) Sounds pretty good to me. They make us sound really great.
1: (laughs) Every time I read that, too, I'm like, I mean, yeah, that's me some days. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, I feel like I could live up to some of those expectations of a five. Most days, no, but some days, I feel really good about myself. I think it's funny. So when I was rereading through the wisdom of the Enneagram in preparation for this episode and kind of making my own notes and highlights, I found that they have the tests in the beginning. To every chapter in the book, you they have a test to see what help you kind of decide if you actually are. A certain number. Oh, I haven't read that book yet. Oh, it's massive, but it's really good. I I, I recommend the digital version. It's much easier to get through, especially (laughs) on an iPad. (laughs) I read through this so much faster and just kind of skimmed through the parts that mattered to me. So, So they give you like this idea of a score one to five, one being not at all true, five being very true. Basically, it has a bunch of different questions and different things, but or not questions, but statements. And I thought some of them, I I, I think that, hang on, what were my colors? Okay, so as you can see, purple was the one that was the most like it. (laughs) What? You color coded it. <laughs> yeah. That way I can, I, I, this is like, here's my color, oh, my key. What a nerd. <laughs> makes me so happy though. Uh, so, anyway, I pretty much was purple on all 15 questions. And so I was definitely the 70 through 70, 60 through 75. You were most likely a five, but could type, could still be another type if you're thinking too narrowly about type five. <laughs> but I've read all the others. I know I'm a five now. I used to think I was a one for a little while, but.
0: That was, I remember that. I never quite believed it, but I wasn't going to tell you what type you were. So, yeah, which is that's that's respectful.
1: I I can appreciate that.
0: When I, you know, I was coming out of
1: like church world, and there's a lot of reasons for me to mistype as a one, just like in religious circles, a lot of women mistype as a two because of Mm. trauma and the patriarchy. (laughs) So, whole other episode. (laughs) Um, I was so I went ahead and did the test again and definitely scored at on the highest range. It kind of goes into it a little bit and says that to kind of push into it a little more, 5 is the investigator. We have named personality type 5 the investigator because more than any other type 5s want to find out why things are the way they are. They want to understand how the world works, whether it is the cosmos, the microscopic world, the animal, vegetable, or mineral kingdom or the inner world of the imaginations. They are always searching, asking questions, and delving into things in depth. They do not accept received opinions and doctrines, feeling a strong need to test the truth of most assumptions for themselves, which is why yeah. I never got along with anybody in churches. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like it when you question things. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that really, that, I was like, that entire paragraph is me. Yeah. So, there is no question.
0: Yeah, I and that definitely gets me in trouble too. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's complicated
1: because if you turn that on to other people, right, right. you can come across as a real asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and I do all the time, sadly. Yeah,
0: yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so, one a couple of things I wanted to touch on because I, I like how they've broken it up into basic fear, basic desire, and so your basic fear is being useless helpless or incapable. Mm. And basic desire is to be capable and competent. And so the key motivations are you want to possess knowledge, to understand the environment, to have everything figured out as a way of defending the self from threats from the environment. And so I'm not sure if they get into this here, but I've read, I've read somewhere else that uh, a five's greatest fear is the world asking more of them than they have to give. Yeah, and I 100% can relate to that. Right, align with that. Yeah. (laughs) So now that we've laid out the general descriptions, I, I feel like these descriptions have really turned into memes in a lot yes. of ways and Instagram accounts. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so let's talk, which through. I follow them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're fun. There's always a, there's always a, a part of it. That's like, I can find it funny because I, there there's pieces of it that I relate to. Um, but and it does kind of, s- it
1: kind of does to the Enneagram, what pop astrology does to astrology, right? Like it makes it this like super lighthearted, like, Oh, it's kind of fun to read your whatever which that's a whole thing, a whole other conversation, but (laughs) I feel like it kind of does that. It kind of takes the Enneagram being this platform in which an opportunity to grow and help others grow Mm -hmm. and create a community of, of healthy growth and healthy uh, maturation. And I feel like that kind of is taken away from it when you are constantly just finding these little creating memes that poke fun at people for different things that are quirks about certain things that are stereotypes and generalizations.
0: Yeah.
2: One stereotype that I really don't relate to is the idea that fives don't care anything about their appearance, that they'll wear the same, you know, black sweatshirt day after day after day and just don't care about things like that. And I don't find that to be true for me personally at all. I like to look my best. I like learning about colors and hair and makeup and clothing and all of those things that are not at all the stereotypical five sort of thing. For me, if I wear a, if I was to wear a black sweatshirt five days in a row, then somebody probably needs to check on me because it probably means I am not doing very well. And I know that's not true for everyone, but that's, that's certainly the case for me. I love color in my life. And, and yeah, I care a lot about how I am presenting myself to the world in a physical way as well as mentally and emotionally.
0: So, what is a big stereotype that of a five that kind of gets on your nerves, or that you roll your eyes at?
1: Yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, I here's the problem. So. All of the things about a five that people are the most afraid of, I actually feel like I have most of the time. <laughs> and so like I've, al- and I've always struggled with that. So I think if anything, I feel like five, <laughs> the five descriptions reveal a little bit too much about fives. <laughs> so then I'm like, no, stop. <laughs> people don't need to know that. Because it makes us kind of sound it makes it makes five sound like narcissists a lot. And I don't consider myself a narcissist at all. I guess I don't like the way that fives are perceived as robots and detached from yeah. everything. Cold. And yeah. Heartless. Cold and heartless. Yeah. Which, like, I am a lot of the time. <laughs> I, I mean, just being honest, like, I do feel fairly outside of the group all the time. And there's a lot of things about um, Like, when you delve more into it, there are things about it that did describe a lot of my childhood and life that. I was really surprised about, and that kind of made me realize, wow, I didn't even realize I felt that way about certain things. So I don't know. There's, I go back and forth. There's certain things about it that are, is unfortunate and kind of annoying. And then other things that took me a lot deeper and into myself and made me realize a lot about myself. I didn't know. So,
0: yeah, I, I understand why people can perceive us that way. -hmm. Like, because there's so much going on under the surface that we're that we may not be expressing. Yeah, and CPU at eighty five percent. Right, so yeah. you're just like constantly observing. Yeah, and also probably not in the moment most of the time. Yeah. and and so for me, the it's it's very false because you and I have talked before. I feel a lot. I feel deeply, and I'm actually a highly sensitive person. But I am also, and this also has to tie into, I have a really strong four wing, and but I also am at war with those feelings all the time. And yeah, and so especially when at my unhealthiest, like I just didn't know what to do with them, so I just sort of stuffed them down. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're not there. And so that's something that I want people who aren't fives to understand that we're not the robot, but we we do feel things. But at the same time, and this is the weird part, is that also like you said. I feel more like an alien than a robot, I guess. I feel like I'm observing and trying to understand and fit in. And so sometimes I feel like I'm just sort of pretending to be a human. <laughs> yeah. Even though I have my own feelings, I'm not like a sociopath, but sometimes I feel like a lot of the times what I'm feeling is contrary to what everyone else is feeling yes. around me. Yeah. 100%. And, and so I don't, I don't want to be disingenuous, but i also want to be i want to be empathetic towards the people around me and so it's just this constant war of what do i do yeah <laughs> and
1: how good can i fake this right. right like am i leveling up today yeah no i feel that completely even with a six wing being in the opposite direction of a five i don't know i mean i had a lot of anxiety level that you don't experience and and we've talked about that i mean i'm constantly feeling like i'm in my own bubble everybody else is out there and i'm in here mm. And yeah, the alien thing, a hundred percent, I feel that I think that I felt that way since I was a kid, like with my own family, with, with anything, I've always kind of felt like I'm out here and everybody else is in there. And you know, and it's funny because my brother who also identifies as a five, I always felt like he was a part of every group and maybe, Mm. maybe we need, maybe we can have him on here and he can tell us that he also felt that way too. I don't know, but he, your brother's just so cool though. Like <laughs> he is. And I think that, and he's he's been cool in different ways throughout his life. He was cool as a drummer and right. was the best drummer. Right. And then he was cool. I mean, he was cool in the musician circles. And then now he's cool in his own like scientific way as a doctoral student in bio biogenetics. So like, <laughs> you know, he's always no he always knows everything. like he is like the ultimate five, right? right. Like he's the five we all aspire to. <laughs> he knows everything. He's always one of the smartest people in the room. And he talks over my head constantly. So he only exacerbates. My what I would imagine are shortcomings in my mind of like how I'm not cool or I'm not in the group or I don't feel like I have a community or a family or whatever. family in the general sense, Mom, I still think you're my mom. But uh, I think it, it, I never got that from him. and so that was a, always a weird, unique experience because if for somebody who identifies like my dad is a five two and he doesn't have any friends, <laughs> and chooses to be that way he's like i'm fine with no friends i don't know it's very strange to see that contrast in my own life and feel so different from the other fives in my life that are that i grew up with and grew up around so i don't know it's it's really an odd thing
2: okay a five stereotype that i think doesn't describe me is that we give insightful, well thought out responses or think extensively before speaking. This could be because I also have ADHD besides being a five, but I think I'm pretty prone to blurt out, if I know the answer to something, I'm going to jump in with it pretty quickly. And I might even take it back later and find out that that wasn't the right thing, or I might interrupt somebody and try to finish their thought. And I definitely do that to my wife all the time, it's something I'm working on. So I think in written communication, I'm able to do that much better. I can read it digest it think about my response and type it out and it's much more thoughtful but in a conversation i think i definitely struggle with that and i that does not align with the typical five stereotype
0: yeah and it also speaks to the breadth of any any type right Right. that it the expression of the number can look so different Right. Like how many shades of red are there? That's how the Enneagram is.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. I don't know. So I have another stereotype or meme that kind of drives me crazy. Okay. And that is the meme of the disgruntled curmudgeon hermit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And this could be the fact that both of our subtypes are social the social right. subtype. Yeah. And I know that, especially with the self-preservation subtype, this probably is more of a reality for them. But I, and, and this is something that I had to learn about myself because I felt like I was supposed to be that way. And in, in some instances I am, like I definitely will retreat and need to into my own head and into my own space. But I also have this innate drive to belong mm-hmm. and to yeah. fit in, and to especially if I can be part of an elite group of some kind. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like I am all about that. <laughs> I've spent I've spent thousands of dollars being part of masterminds, <laughs> <laughs> Just so and you I can get be it, called a mastermind. Right. <laughs> And granted, they, they, there's definitely been a good return on that investment from a business perspective. But yeah, but there, I, I'd be lying if I wasn't going to say there's a big part of the ego play in there for me too of just being part of this group of the select group um, of people who you know are successful in some way or sure you know, knowledgeable or something in in some way. Do you think that that makes us? Because I'm definitely
1: like that too. Do you think that makes us as fives more susceptible to multi level marketing schemes? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, I. I've definitely succumbed to that in the past, like in so college and stuff. Same. Yeah. Not for long though.
1: Yeah. It does Yeah. You, you realize I was roped in. You unravel it pretty quickly. Yeah. And I was roped in early on because my friend's dad was one of the success stories. So mm-hmm. I sat down very personally and had coffee with somebody who was making millions and millions of dollars through this same thing. And so it was really hard to deny the supposed evidence. And I'm like, yeah, cool but it's also her dad and he did it in the eighties and that were some of those uh, things really worked in the eighties, but it's when, as soon as technology advanced, like MLMs kind of fell out and they weren't really what they u- were in their heyday. They kind of became the scams that they are. They kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, <laughs> but I don't know. I just, that makes me wonder. Cause like, if you want it bad enough, you can make anything in your mind, a reality. So you'd be easy, more susceptible. I feel like to fall into that
0: interesting thought. Yeah, maybe. I It could also be our background uh, growing up in the conservative world. And yeah, I'll tell and you what, too. I wouldn't fall for it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think once we get in, we, because we're always trying to find the data. Mm. And when you look at the data on MLMs that I've seen, it doesn't look good. No. There are definitely some good success stories, but the vast majority of people uh, it ruins their do, lives. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. I have no idea. This is not yeah. a. This is not a conversation about uh, MLMs, <laughs> though. So. Well, you know. Okay, <laughs> but, so if
1: we reel it back in and go back to something you were saying, it's actually really funny because we're talking about like how. This is In some ways, this is going to be kind of a commercial or prom- promotion for this book that we didn't write. That's awesome. But
0: <laughs> the wisdom of the Enneagram, the wisdom of the Enneagram,
1: but the next, the, literally the next paragraph says for better or worse, the areas that fives explore do not depend on social validation. Indeed, if others agree with their ideas too readily, fives tend to fear that their ideas might be too conventional. <laughs> History is full of famous fives who overturned accepted ways of understanding or doing things, Darwin, Einstein, Nietzsche. Many more fives, however, have become lost in the complexities of their own thought processes, becoming merely eccentric and socially isolated. Hmm. I just think that's funny because we talk about how the hot, the deep desire to be socially accepted and, and sociable and all these things, and yet our personality becomes the antithesis of that in so many ways. And we right. isolate ourselves based on the way we perceive everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. So again, constant war.
0: Yeah. So, and in, in the social settings, that's exactly how I feel all of the time. And that's why small talk can be so mind numbing. It's torturing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's complete torture. I have gotten to the point where I, it's not as bad for me because I kind of make a game out of it. Yeah. But, In what way? (laughs) Wait, you can't just just gloss over that and move on. As I'm talking to someone, I'm thinking about all the ways that I could manipulate them if I wanted to. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, you're not a sociopath or a narcissist. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But I don't. I
1: don't. Yeah. Yeah. If you're really good yeah, at, no one would ever know. Of. know <laughs> of. Yeah, if you're really good at manipulating, no one would know. No, I,
0: I learned, uh, I learned early on, thankfully, from one of my mentors uh, how to use your powers for good rather than evil. So mm. that's what I try to do.
1: <laughs> well, and I, you know, I got really into and really obsessed with body language, and mm. so um, I remember
0: that we were watching oh, Lie to Me.
1: <laughs> oh yes, yeah, Lie to Me is what started it, and then I got into other things and read a bunch of books, and I actually just got three more books for Christmas. So, <laughs> and, and in that way. I I guess that is also, I think the strong desire to want the option to manipulate is just actually could easily be translated into that. We want to always feel that we're in control of social situations so Mm -hmm. that we can feel safe and comfortable Yeah, and engage. Yeah. Yeah. And be able to engage and know, kind of be able to play out in our minds what's going to happen and not be surprised by anything or be uh, attacked with a certain moment of vulnerability we weren't ready for or anything like that.
0: Um, I also, so... It, it really depends on my mood too. And right. I think this is a conversation we can have at another time that I, I I think would be really interesting to get into is how we handle and cope with and, and deal with social situations in different from different perspectives or when we're in different moods or energy levels or something like that. Oh, yeah. But the other thing that I love to do, and I'm sure you've experienced this with me, it's <laughs> my seven side will kick in and I'll either turn briefly and this doesn't last super long but <laughs> briefly turn into the life of the party yeah and just throw all caution to the wind alcohol uh, helps yeah well it does yeah but even without that I just being just being dumb and or and this usually happens when <laughs> this usually happens when I'm in the same room with someone like a three hmm. um or someone who has like a big ego yeah but I can competitive tell competitive nature but I can that. tell that I'm smarter than them ooh and then I <laughs> And then, yeah. and then I'll just like create chaos just mm. for fun. Yeah. I love doing <laughs> and that. And get under their skin subtly. Totally. Yeah. No, no, I,
1: yeah, I completely get off on the idea of just making people either doubt their own beliefs and like cr- cr- making the foundation crumble a little bit, but in, in some twisted way, I probably think that I'm doing them a favor, right. you know? Right. Right. <laughs> By helping, like, wreck their carefully stacked boxes, you know? Because the thing is, and also, and this comes back to manipulation and less about knowledge, it's less about what you know and more about making them just
0: question what they know.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. So you can do that to anybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So the curmudgeon stereotype is one that I don't necessarily align with. and For most of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, <laughs> at, at my unhealthiest, we've known each other a long yeah, time. <laughs> at my unhealthiest, I am definitely the the kid in the dark with the black hoodie on watching anime and, for hours. and being angry at the world. Yeah, that was definitely that's, me. That's for. literally the definition of curmudgeon. But that's not who I really am. And I think that's probably right. why the stereotype annoys me a little bit mm-hmm. is because it reflects a side of me that is not me. It's not my truest self. It's, sure. it's myself when I'm trying to hide and that's not who I am. And so having c- good conversations, I like building quality relationships with individuals and small groups of people. Uh, I don't necessarily like large groups of people, but I, and I'm definitely an introvert, right? But I absolutely long for these quality types of relationships because if for no other reason, I want to have really good conversations and right. you can't do that by yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but <laughs> yeah. Imagine this podcast <laughs> with just one
1: person, you know? Yeah. Um, no one would sit here and listen to just me. No, that would be a terrible monologue. Nobody wants to listen to a
0: five, have a monologue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's always
0: the beginning of, to a be movie. honest, we're not really sure if uh, people are going to listen to two fives, have a dialogue. That's, so we'll that's see. That's
1: fair. Yeah. That's actually really true. Um, <laughs> That's the problem with all stereotypes, right? So if this podcast exists to break a one big stereotype of or one overarching stereotype of what fives are and how they interact with the world, then that's a success and that's great. But everybody, every single number in the Enneagram struggles with the stereotypes of whatever those things are, I think. Sure. And that's something to acknowledge. I don't think that's just a five thing. But that's what we're talking about because we're fives. But that's always the problem with stereotypes. But also, I mean, this is kind of off t- going off on a tangent a little bit. I mean, there's positives to stereotypes too. I think that that kind of helps because, I mean, you have to have markers. You have to decide where you're going to start the conversation sure. and say, hey, well, this is right or wrong. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's good to dive into those things and figure out, like, what things really connect with you and where we can hear from, uh, you know, other fives and see what, what they're struggling with and what they – roll their eyes at when it comes to five stereotypes and tropes and all the things i don't know it's always going to be an open and ever evolving conversation about what it is to be a five
2: math and science i hate them i was always more of the artsy literature kind of girl but the science I just never cared about, thought it was really boring. And math, I just sucked at my, there's something in my brain that just does not click with math. I could do it if somebody was sitting there or right after you taught me how to do something, but then the second I had to go do it alone, i like completely, at all, like I just couldn't remember. I could not grasp how I had done it. Like I didn't get it. That being said, I was the top of my class in geometry for whatever reason, I love geometry. But that was literally the only good math experience I've ever had. All of the other ones, it felt like it was a completely different language.
0: So let's move past the stereotypes now, then. and Let's talk. I'd love to hear from you what it means to you to be a five. What do you really relate to the most? So for me, it took me a long time to figure out what...
1: what I am, I guess. (laughs) And I guess I'm still trying to figure that out in some ways. I've, I just turned 34 and I still just kind of feel I've so many times in my life I've started over. And so many times I've tried to figure out direction and figure out what it is I'm going to do. And, you know, I spent a lot of my life being a musician and trying to do that and, and doing that whole life and traveling and touring and gigging and recording and, And to this day, I still love that and I love that the most, but that doesn't always work out and it doesn't make money. So you have to figure out something else to do or just choose to live under a bridge. And so it's, and that's not good with a five. Fives also have to be somewhat successful in what they're doing for it to be worthwhile. And so I've spent a lot of my time trying to separate my passions and what I love with what my life is going to be about that at least keeps me alive and fed (laughs) and healthy. And so that's been a real struggle of mine because it's I spent half my life trying to decide what else I was going to be passionate about because for me, it's also, it, it's, it's weird. To, this is a really good example of, of a stereotype of maybe a five wing six, where it's like a five wing four, people all already assume, oh, well, you've got the four wing, So like, you're probably going to be a little creative and eccentric and have these big ideas and whatever, which you do fall into that stereotype. <laughs> and I've always been jealous of that. But here's the thing. I have the big ideas. I'm also creative. And I also love being creative, I approach it differently and I have a whole like methodology behind
0: my creativity. Yeah, actually I'm, that is definitely another conversation that we need to have because I I love, I love your approach to creativity, Mm. um, specifically songwriting. Yeah. And we don't have to to dive too much into that here now, but I've always appreciated your ability to take something and sort of without judgment, just keep iterating on it. Mm. So you can put something out there and then you can objectively look at it and say, okay, that's kind of garbage, but there's parts that I can work with and you just keep working at it. Yeah. And I've seen you write songs and when they start, they're just like, eh. And then by the time I'm like, wow, by the time like, you know, you're done with it. It's like, wow. (laughs) You know? Yeah. My biggest fault was letting
1: too many people hear the first version early on, I think. So now I'm more careful about who hears which iteration of it, Mm -hmm. you know? When I feel like, okay, this is ready to send out into the world, I, I would, I'm would i a little better about that. We could definitely have a whole conversation about that, I think, and, and how that's different. But, you know, that only, it's always been an issue. It's always been something that I, that kind of like dream that I would chase in many ways to my own demise, I guess, because I kept ending up at these dead ends and having to start over again with, okay, but what is my career going to be? Like, what is my, where is my time being spent? That's going to put food on the table and have a roof over my head, right? Like that classic, the needs, the human needs. And that's been something that's been really hard for me to decide what that is and try to figure out how to interweave my passions and my creativity into things like podcasts or thing projects that make me want to get up in the morning and still go about my day. And so that's always been a really hard thing for me. But what I have always identified with in descriptions of fives is that methodical problem-solving mentality of taking something and tearing it apart over and over and over again and figuring out how to put it back together in a way that works the best, right? Whether it's, I do that at work at any job that I've ever had. I look at systems in place and go, is this the most efficient way to do this? And oftentimes I've been the first person to challenge something and go, (laughs) there's a better way. And everybody go, oh, or go, nope, not hearing it, you know, whatever the reaction is and positive or negative. And of course, over time, and as I've gotten older, I think I've figured out ways to communicate those ideas in such a way that they're more well-received. Sure instead of being like you've been doing this wrong the whole time <laughs> you know <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's something that I feel like I've had to grow in over time in my adult life but you know the problem-solving title the investigator the observer the uh, problem solver is a hundred percent me and it's a hundred percent my dad it's a hundred percent my brother like that's the place where we meet on well we love puzzles we love tearing things apart and putting them back together and figuring out how they work. And so we've all ended up in different places. I ended up in the creative, the music world. And like you said, I tear a song apart until it works. And then I put it back together. My brother does that in the scientific world. My dad did it in the engineering world. And so we, that's where we've connected and kept a relationship going, even in a pandemic and in a distance as we can talk for hours about the things we've taken apart and put back together lately. Hmm. So that's, it's a stereotype that I embrace and love and identify with.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think I, the way that I express that tends to be, I'm definitely a problem solver in a lot of ways, but I also, I I, I tend to be more philosophical about it. I think like I, yeah. I, I pull apart the problems that really don't have solutions. <laughs> <laughs> right. You love questions with no answers. Right. <laughs> I just love exploring the question. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to end anywhere. And actually I, a lot of times I prefer it to not, uh, end anywhere. Sure. Just I the, mean, and under certain influences, yeah. I also love to do that. Sure. But sub,
1: substance influence. <laughs> right. Like uh, in a sober, a 100% sober mind, I don't know. It, my anxiety kicks in and I go, no, there has to be an answer. And we can have a whole conversation on that too. Do aliens exist? <laughs> is what is out in the universe? Um, <laughs> I start thinking about that. And on that note, um, I don't know if you saw the pictures of like when Saturn and Venus lined up recently. Uh-huh. Did you see the pictures of the telescopes looking at them all around the world? No. I looked at these pictures and like, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've actually, when we were kids, my dad took us out in the street. We lived in a cul-de-sac and he had this telescope that he, it was like a $500 telescope. So better than the average toy telescope, but not the most powerful. But one night we were trying to look at the moon. I remember this distinctly and... My dad was like, wait, what is that thing coming out from behind the moon? And so he switched some things around and did, I don't know. I was like tens. I didn't know what he was doing, but he was like calibrating all these things and moving things around and putting a new lens in or whatever. And come to find out it was Saturn and we could see Saturn. And I remember very distinctly looking into that uh, telescope and seeing what looked like a sticker of stat of Saturn. And I was like, oh my God, it looks the way that I've imagined it. It looks like the cartoons the illustrations and you can actually see the rings and all this stuff. And it, that blew my mind into this day. It's stuck with me that, that it exists in the universe Right now. Or yeah. maybe it doesn't. I don't know.
0: Um <laughs> or maybe it's just a projection. <laughs> right.
1: Well, it is a projection, right? All of all of, all of right the universe is a projection. <laughs> We're looking at things thousands of years ago. So that has always stuck with me. So then I saw I think it was yesterday. I saw a picture. It was like a, a whole collage of images from when v- Venus and was it Venus? It was Venus. Venus and Saturn aligned, created the Christmas star or whatever. That you see very distinctly. You see Venus, you see the gases and everything in these Telescope images, telescopic images, and uh, the rings of Saturn. You can see the moons around uh, Venus. I'm doubting. I think it's Venus. It has to be Venus. I I had that same wonder that I felt when I was 10 all over again, going, oh my God, that really exists. Like, Mm. you don't think about it that often, but I hate it. I love it and I hate (laughs) it. You know what I mean? Like, I I think about it and then I start thinking about how small we are and then how did we get here and what happened on the (laughs) earth that made us exist. And... Yeah, what kind of evolution got us to this point, and then what's going to happen next? And so I start asking all the questions that I don't know the answers to, and I spiral out of control and fall into this weird nihilistic spiral, and it's not okay. And I get into a very dark place, and then I become the
0: curmudgeon. So yeah, you've just described like an ideal evening for me of just sitting and thinking through. All and that's that why sometimes we have really good times, and sometimes I leave your house going,
1: I don't know how to feel about anything anymore, and I don't know if life is going to go on tomorrow. So. Uh, Uh, yeah. And see, and that makes you happy. It does. It it. makes you happy because you created conflict and chaos chaos.
0: (laughs) (laughs) within your best friend. (laughs) Um, So the, I've been thinking about this a lot too, this, this difference between problems that can be solved and problems that can't easily be solved or maybe can't be solved at all. Yeah. Um, At least not from where we are. I'm thinking about my career path and it makes a lot of sense that I tend to lean that way because I, I started more on the technology side and was uh, moving towards, like I was a software developer for a while and that was interesting for a little bit until it wasn't until it wasn't because those are problems that can be solved. And there's usually a, it's, it's usually about just picking the, the, Most appropriate solution, but there's multiple solutions, and you're really just trying to figure out like what's the best solution for this. And then I moved, so I moved out of software development into product management. And most people don't know what product management is because why would they? Yeah, but it's essentially you're the one responsible for essentially figuring out what the engineers are going to work on. So you've got a team of designers and engineers that. Usually are being paid cumulatively. A, a, a million or two dollars, a, a million or two dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> and you're responsible for making sure that the business gets a return on that investment. So you're you're an advocate for the customer and the problems that they have, and you're working with design to figure out the solutions, and then with development to build those things, and then you're making sure that all of that is aligned with the business needs and goals, and so and then you're coordinating with like marketing and sales and customer service, and so you sit in the middle of all this stuff, and man. It's just a lot of making decisions where you know you don't have all the information, and you know that you may not ever know if this was the right solution, or if or or if you do it's going to be down the road and it's going to be too late to <laughs> yeah. do anything about it, right? Right. Then you just have to commit, uh, and keep yeah, moving. or you know, sunset something or yeah. or whatever. There there are processes and methodologies that you can use to help mitigate that risk, but there's always going to be that risk, right? And that just makes me so happy. <laughs> like it don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it. it's tough, but it's, it, it's sifting through all of the mess and like trying to intuit what, like how to move forward and knowing that you're never going to know if that's how you should be moving forward. You just kind of have to move and then try to gauge get feedback once you move and like you're constantly, it's like sailing, you like you're just trying to navigate the wind and constantly tack back and forth to ultimately get in this general direction over here, but you don't necessarily know how you're going to get there. Sure. Yeah.
1: In many ways, I I would agree that I think that I would be, I, 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 that like that sounds interesting to me too. Even with a you know the opposite wing, that makes a lot more sense. Things that like aren't super tangible, and you're having to like pull out of thin air, like what we're doing next, what direction we're going. This is the best course of action. So you're still kind of problem solving constantly.
0: <laughs> oh no, I I definitely am, but I'm also I'm also doing a lot of visionary type stuff. So sure, big I'm, picture, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm big picture, but not just in a this is the big picture. It's how do we tell a story that starts with the customer and and the big relevant change in the world mm. and is motivating for the customer motivating for the team motivating for the stakeholders like how do i craft help craft a narrative and make sure that everyone's on the same page and then make sure that it's clear and compelling and consistent across the entire organization And it's that, that to me is like the heart because there's, there's like pieces of marketing in there and sure. Yeah. And just, there's a lot of communication stuff. That's right. Just to me is a big challenge as a five, because that, that process of trying to get out of your head, what, (laughs) what, you know, into a form that other people can understand that's inspiring and romantic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where the seven, you have to
1: like really get lean on the seven well lean on the four yeah the, well the four wing yeah. but then like go to this like you have to be present I, present it right? i do like, have yeah there's definitely perform.
0: performance in yeah. there for sure i'm actually gonna have to do that next week my first real big one yeah. in a while and so it's <laughs> it's challenging but it's like a good challenging because i never get bored in that role I think one Enneagram stereotype is that I don't necessarily
1: relate with is that they lack emotion. I definitely experience and feel emotion. I think the biggest thing for me is that I don't necessarily, one, sometimes I don't know what those emotions are, but I, but I still feel them. So in certain situations, I won't react the same way as someone else might. And two, I, I feel those emotions, but I just I don't give them any type of outward expression because it's uncomfortable. And so, in those particular situations, you know, I can definitely see why an Enneagram 5 would would be stereotyped as not having um, emotions, but I don't feel Mm -hmm. I necessarily relate to that specifically. And that, I think, is where the kind of really the, the bottom line is is that. Finding something that is a, a healthy and positive, constantly evolving challenge that you're always trying to overcome, right? I think that that's as soon as you get bored as a five you're done. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I go into straight chaos mode. Like, Right. Like I need to I just like, I'm gonna, I'm yeah. Going, yeah, I'm going to b- burn this place to the ground. Right. Um, right. and that's kind of it'll be interesting. And that's kind
1: of where I've been at my job lately. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I've been bored there for a long time because I had a list of all these hope things. No one there is
0: listening to this.
1: Uh, they know yeah. <laughs> they have to know, but even in the destructive, if you want to call it just, distru- I don't know if it's destructive. I think that I just constantly am challenging everything now and being like is any of this the way that we should be running this place, you know? And I think that that's causing chaos, but it's also done a lot of good. Like we're upgrade constructive
0: doesn't necessarily mean bad. No.
1: no. Yeah, and I, and in in my case, I think that I have done a lot of things because I was bored and it turned out well for me this time. Yeah. Not most of the time, but this time it did. And in the process, I learned what it is that I might actually be good at, which is sales. And I didn't know that I've run from that for most of my life. I've always been really good at selling things because- it's manipulation. It's its own <laughs> challenge, right? You're always trying to- At its to, worst, it's, manip- yeah. Right, yeah, well, it's always manipulation. You're always, all of sales and marketing is just telling people what- You're trying to
0: get someone to take a specific action,
1: yeah. Right, you're, implant, you're in you're inception. You're implanting the <laughs> idea in their mind that it was their idea that they wanted this thing while telling them this is what they've wanted all along. And that's targeted ads, which I
0: am a huge- That's of. a little bit cynical of a view on it, but yes. That's what it is though. Yeah. Like. The basic functionality,
1: the basic functionality, but here's the thing. If you understand that as a five, you understand that at the base level, you can sell anything to anyone. And I really believe this and this is starting to sound like in it's its own MLM, but <laughs> <laughs> by the way, <laughs> have you heard of this product that we're selling? <laughs> you know, and I sell alcohol. So that's the industry that I ended up that's in because, <laughs> right. But not always because everybody's really picky about what they drink and everybody thinks they know everything about what they're drinking. And that's always been like a challenge for me to be like you, but you don't know. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I think that's been a really interesting challenge for me, but then I got really good at it in a weird way, like, and not to sound conceited, but like, I more than doubled sales since I took over at the department that I am in, in the store, in the first four months. And so I, like, by far exceeded everybody's expectations. So then I used that momentum to go well. We, we have all these case stacks of beer everywhere. We should have shelves. Let's spend thousands of dollars on shelves. And they were like, well, you did this right. So maybe you did this right. And then we did that. And then I tripled sales, <laughs> you know? And it's like, and then now we're upgrading the entire beer department and building screens where there were chalkboards and building shelves to organize everything. And so I started with one goal and then I made all the other goals happen. So for the first like six to eight to 10 months, I had all of these challenges and all these stand like- hurdles i was trying to jump over and then i was going one after another one after another and i was like this isn't bad like i'm doing all these things but i knew there was an end right Mm -hmm. so i gave myself a year to do all the things i had a list of things that i wanted to do my year mark was last month and i had done all the things that i really wanted to really accomplish that i thought maybe would take me a year and i did them in six months so the last six months was trying to decide well what else can i do yeah And so we've done a lot more than I ever thought we could do. And that's mostly because of the fact that I constantly needed the challenge. And so I was just constantly questioning everything that could be done and they hated me for it a lot of the time. But then at the end of the day, they were like, well, I guess this is better.
0: (laughs) That's so funny because I had an experience where when I was in college, I needed a job. And I just happened to have a friend who was going to school with me, who was working at the local newspaper here in Chattanooga, and I got a job selling newspaper subscriptions door to door. Yeah, and I—I I don't think I don't think we knew each other at this point. I think no. this was right. This was right before you and I met. I think it was like six months before you and I met, because uh, I was working at the airport when we met. Right. And I, especially as a five, the idea of selling newspapers door to door sounds just like terrible. Yeah. That sounds like hell (laughs) for sure. (laughs) And I don't even know why I went for it. I think it was just, I just needed a job and, and for college, it actually was really good money, but I came in and I was immediately top salesperson week after week after week, like my, my first several weeks. Right. Uh, but it was only because I figured out a formula. It was mm-hmm. like I knew it was a numbers game. Right. I knew if I just hit so many houses and I had a smile, even if I was not great at a sales like do my sales pitch, you know, some people are going to say yes. Some people are just going to say yes if you have a, a halfway decent product. Yeah. And and so I came in and and plus other teams were Like working for like an hour and then going fishing, the clock and stuff like like just (laughs) sure yeah yeah like yeah um things they shouldn't. So I was there I think like three and a half weeks and got promoted to a team lead, and (laughs) I was making in college, making consistently five to six hundred bucks a week. Wow, and it was awesome. But I was like working myself to death. Yeah, and that was terrible. But I was making good money. And of course, it, I blew it all as soon as I got it. Uh, like taking my friends out to dinner and like all this stuff. Living it up you oh, trying yeah. to have that elite status. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I did the same thing where once I sort of figured out my formula, I got bored. And so I just started like creating chaos. Right. <laughs> so I remember one of the things. So I just started like just testing things and seeing what would work. Yeah. And I remember we were in North Georgia. And we were, we had a, a route down there and I was like, man, I don't want to do this today. This just, because it, it becomes soul sucking, especially because the, the way that the particular people who were in charge at the time were having us do things, it was very, very manipulative. Like that's where I, I had a um, an aversion to, to any kind of sales or marketing for a long time because of some of the stuff that they were telling us to do. And I would do it, and I would see it actually worked, and but it felt really icky, and yeah. it was just not—it was not fun. Right. But then I just started doing like my own thing and just messing around, and so I would try like different accents when I'd walk up to the door. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in North Georgia, and man, I had a southern twang all night long. Yeah. And I tell you what, it worked. Yeah. It worked, baby. So I. <laughs> But that's like I just I would I would just get bored and create chaos and sure. try to see if and then I could only do that I think I did it for three or four months and I was just I was done it took it sucked sure. the life out of me yeah I mean and I don't think I could do that that's it's rough <laughs> yeah that's like the trenches of sales right like that's not you've got like f- three to five seconds right to get someone to talk to you before they slam a door in your face even if they open it at all yeah it's really interesting I learned a lot of little techniques. Yeah. I don't think I could do that. I don't, I can not that the, my six
1: wing would get in the way. I mm. would, I would feel the, the pressure to perform in such a short amount of time that I would blow it every time probably. And I have, I've done that before. I've done phone things, phone sales type situations. Mm. I've done things like that before and had jobs like that where I felt like I, it was just constant pressure. I would burn out in a day or two. I'm like, no, this is not for me. It was just, it caused my anxiety to go up too high. And that was before I knew that I had anxiety. So I was always like, why is my heart beating hard? And I feel like I'm dying. And this must not be for me. Um, yeah, I, there, that's not something I could do. And that's, and I'm I've been trying to leverage the job situation I have now into a sales position and like a distributor level, right? And yeah. uh, but then you're still, yes, you're going to places to sell things, but you're going into places that are already going to buy things from you. You're just trying to make them buy more things, right? Right. And so I don't know. It's just, it's a little different. It's a different situation than going door to door and invading yeah. people's space, which is yeah. something you would never want someone to do to you. And right. now you're doing it to other
0: people. Oh, yeah. And oh, I still, I, I, I still... Be, I've been nasty to some door to door still. And it's so bad because I've been in their place. Yeah. And I don't know why I do it. <laughs> You're like, I know how you feel, but I hate you. <laughs> I actually had, uh, I, when I was at my in-laws house, uh, a few years later, one came from the, the same paper came to the door and he was so bad. Uh. And I was just like, I wanted to, I wanted to help him. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm just really annoyed that you're here. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you to go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, is but th-
1: at that point, you're like automatically assessing in your mind, is the outcome really worth it? Right.
0: Nah. Right. Not really. Is that, he even gonna listen? That actually is a great segue into thing that I relate to the most with mm. a five, and it, I, I feel like this, it's sort of probably not to like Enneagram nerds, but generally, it's sort of overlooked as a key characteristic of a five. But when I heard it described and they talked about this, I literally was weeping because I never felt so understood in my life. And it was the first time I had heard this and put it in a way that made it make sense, but it made me feel like uh, there's not something wrong with me. This is just part of being who I am. And that is the energy management piece. And so for me, that is one of the primary functions Of me as a five is that I am constantly, constantly doing calculus of energy and effort versus outcome and what I want to put energy towards and what I don't, what I have energy for and what I don't. Is it worth the energy that I'm putting in? And there's a lot of like energy conservation guarding that piece of me. And if I have anxiety, usually it's around that piece of it where I'd feel my energy just getting drained and and the the life sucked out of me. Mm. I don't know if I've told you this whole story, Cody, but for me it's just amplified and exacerbated because not only am I a five, but I spent the majority of my life up until my mid twenties with chronic fatigue. And in, and that's where I was when, when you and I met, which was, (laughs) so It was yeah, real bad. Right. And maybe you Somehow can, we were still friends. Yeah. Maybe you can speak to that, like what it's like <laughs> observing that. But I, and it was at its worst when, when we moved to Washington and I just had a really stressful job and I was working myself to death and I was basically killing my adrenals. I think, But I had, it was so bad that it took everything I had just to get out of bed in the morning. And when I was done with work, I would come home and I would lay down and I didn't want to get up. I could sleep for 18 hours straight and never feel rested. I never, Mm. ever felt rested. And all I wanted to do was lay down all the time. And it was terrible. I never wanted to do anything. And I looked around at all these people. And I'm like, how does, I must be really, really lazy because I don't understand how anyone has motivation to do anything. Yeah. Like, but, and I would also retreat into my head because of that, because I didn't have the physical energy. So I Mm -hmm. would, you know, and I did have a lot of brain fog, but like I could escape. And that's why I watched a lot of TV and movies and things like that too, because that allowed me to escape my body in in a really efficient way. And I was always doing that math of what can I put energy towards? What can I avoid putting energy towards? And that's been, it's so ingrained into my brain that I'm still like unraveling that and trying to reroute those passageways because while it can be effective to conserve energy and there's definitely a time and a place for that, there's also a lot to be said for expending energy and doing it in ways that you probably wouldn't want to when you think about it. But once you do it, it's like, like playing with my kids Or we went to the cardboard mountain at the local park, the giant mound, and we just like my four-year-old wanted to slide down and go back up and slide down and go back up and slide down. And it was exhausting, right? Right. (laughs) But every time, and of course, it's if you're gauging outcome for energy output, just based on the experience, you're doing, you're walking up this giant hill for a minute and then You're sliding down for like five seconds. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like such an inefficient use of energy, it feels like. Yeah. But the look on his face of pure joy and the laughter and just it you can tell that it meant so much to him that I was spending time with him in this way. Right. That's priceless. Yeah. You know? And so especially being a parent has helped me work through a lot of that stuff, but just to kind of close the loop on this, I, m- what the ca- underlying cause of or what appeared to be the underlying cause of my like, chronic fatigue was some food sensitivities that I'm guessing caused inflammation that was affecting me in all different kinds of ways, but also affecting my sleep and all that stuff. And when I got that, man, I remember I changed my diet. And within a few days I was starting to feel better. And within a month I felt like a completely different person. I'm like, wait, you mean to tell me that everyone else feels this way all the time? Yeah. Like what the hell, man? Like, (laughs) I felt like a superhuman. Yeah. (laughs) What could I have been doing this whole time? (laughs) Right. And then of course we moved back to the South and my uh, diet and exercise and all that stuff has slowly declined. And then I had kids and now I'm just, um, I'm still, I'm not nowhere near like where I used to be, but uh, definitely more exhausted. So that's, a big, like my primary focus and theme for 2021 is health and getting back to that place. Because of that, because of the extremely low physical energy that I had, I'm just that much more vigilant. As a five, about where I put my energy. And the interesting thing though is that I also spend a lot of time a- having some anxiety and and warring with myself over that, which costs me so much energy, right? Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. just like a self-defeating exercise. But when I think about being a five, like that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's just this, I never felt understood. I always felt lazy. But what it is it comes from that fear that we talked about of the world requiring more of you than you have to give. And so it's like you're always protecting what you have so that when it really matters, you have what you need. Right. And so it's very much a self-preservation tactic, but it's also a way of prioritizing things. Mm -hmm. I, there was a lot of shame around it for me for a long time. I feel like I've come quite a ways in sorting through that to where I can view it as, okay, this is uh, a way my inner self is trying to help me preserve my energy, but let's just try to look at it more objectively. And one of the things that I also learned was that aside from the chronic fatigue stuff, my limits aren't as low as I tell myself that they are. Right. Yeah. Because I can push myself to limits and I still have more. And I'm not saying that I should be doing that all the time, but I can, in those moments, especially with things with like my kids, I can tell myself then I can change the story of like, I have more to give and I can choose if this is important. I can choose to expend this energy here, but man, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of inner work of like, there's always calculus going on of that, that energy dynamic. Do you experience the same thing?
1: I mean, I think that I do to some degree for sure. Yeah. And I don't know if I do it. I don't know if I do it in the way that you do on individual tasks. Mm -hmm. I think that I do it in bigger goals and things like what projects are worth investing time in? Does this have the potential to go somewhere? And then in my problem solving fashion, I tear it apart. I poke holes in this idea or I poke holes in this in this direction and go, where, where am I going to fall? Where am I going to stumble? Is this going to fall apart at this point? Is the person I'm getting involved with this project going to not really believe in it halfway through, you know, all those kinds of things. And then decide from there, I don't know if this risk is worth doing this. I don't know if I'm going to just waste energy and then have to start over again. But as far as like daily tasks go, I've always been the kind of person who doesn't manage energy and time well in that way for my personal health. And I always stretch myself too thin and I always run myself to death. And I do way more than I should for way too long until finally I don't want to get out of bed and I'm too tired to do anything. And I go, wow, this isn't working. I have to reassess everything and restructure my life again. So I I do it more in, I do like quarterly reflections (laughs) rather than daily Uh, check-ins, I guess.
0: Do, Do you have more of a manic depressed state in that way?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I've, I mean, I think there's, it's always been this question of whether or not I struggle with bipolar disorder or because I have a very cyclical emotional pattern, I guess, is it's not, it's very, it's very specific. Mm-hmm. And I go through, it's always like about two weeks of roughly like a week and a half of like, I'm fine. I can, I'm pushing, I'm trudging along. It's fine. And then I get really, it's like, I just keep going up and up and up until I'm like hypomanic, like not quite manic. Like, I'm like, I'm not like hallucinating and losing touch with reality, but like my mind's going so fast, I can't keep up with it anymore. And I run myself to death hmm. and my mind is basically like a fire hose and I can't keep up. And I'm having all these ideas and all these great, in my head, great ideas and all these things I need to figure out. And I get really honed in on random things for no reason and don't sleep for three days and then crash. And I have like five, three to five days, depending on what it is like. Of just hardcore depression where I can't get out of bed and I don't want to do anything and I have to decide, do I need this job? Do I need to still function like an adult? Does it matter? And so, and then all of a sudden I wake up one and it's like, and it's like that in that way, it's almost like to me, I've always described it as living in black and white for a while. And then one day I wake up and the color's back and everything's back to normal and I feel fine (laughs) and I keep going. So that's always been a really weird thing. And I also, fives in general have, and and maybe maybe I'm making a stereotype here and maybe this isn't true, but I feel like a lot of the fives that I've met don't like to be out of control and um, not in the sense that like how some other types are, like some other types are like ones, you know, friends, I've known a lot of ones who like, if they're out of control, they're not okay. But like, I don't like to feel like I'm out of control with my body. And that, so feeling- It's more about out of control of yourself. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. not a, but yeah, yeah, I guess it's more out of control of myself. I don't, nobody likes to be out of control of their environment, but yeah, self and not, and feeling like my body is out of control and I can't do anything about it was a huge wake up call for me a couple of years ago or three, four years ago. Like I felt like things were getting to a point where I couldn't control how I felt anymore. I couldn't control anxiety. And I had to come to grips with the idea that I actually have these things and I need to call say call them what they are and deal with them. And that's been, yeah, a huge thing for me. And that's also defined very much how I have to decide how much energy I have for something. Or if I'm just not in a mental state to be able to do, be able to focus and do certain things on certain days, like maybe I'm a little too manic today, maybe a little too depressed today to actually give my full self to something. And I just need to have a self care day as the millennials say
0: <laughs> <laughs> the millennials is as if we yeah. are millennials, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, we are millennials,
1: but, and, and that's where I've really had to learn that self care is a real thing and you have to have days for self all the time yeah. and it's okay. Give yourself permission for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I love about being a five is we can take an information and like a lot of information and like sort through it, prioritize it and can I, at at the very least identify what to take action on. A lot and of immediately
1: uh, apply it. Yeah. That's uh, what I, I I've yeah. always loved that about being a five is that I can learn something. I take something, I watch a bunch of videos, I watch a bunch of different things, and then I immediately go, okay, I know how to do this. And just immediately start yep. trying to figure it out. Yep. I wasn't always like that. The risk was always for me as a six wing, I think played into that and anxiety. I wouldn't make the risk. I wouldn't mm. do the things. And just in the last couple of years, I've, you know, or just in the last year, a pandemic year, everything has kind of affected that where I'm just like, you know what? I'm always going to say yes to the mm. risk. I'm always if I'm afraid of something or I'm too anxious about it, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. And if I fail, I fail. It's fine. I failed a lot. It doesn't matter. And that's opened up so many opportunities for things that I didn't know I would be passionate about. And it's forced me to learn more about something, a lot of things that I already loved and didn't know how to do. And now I'm just immediately applying that information and just gaining momentum.
0: Yeah. And that's, that I think is a, a key step in integrating towards an eight as you become you know healthier and mm. and everything. I used to be just a ravenous information gatherer. I knew so many things about so many things, and I had yeah. all of this theoretical knowledge, but then when it came to actually taking action on it, I would just freeze and I wouldn't right. do it because I could be and and it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because I can already I would go to take a step and I can already think like immediately just think through all the ways that it's going to fail and all the the things I have to do to place to make sure that it doesn't fail. And then all the like, extra tasks that go along with that to make sure that and so I'm like planning out all of these steps in my head that I know I'm gonna have to take and then immediately right. that energy energy management thing kicks in. It's like, dude, that is a lot of work. Like <laughs> that doesn't seem to be worth it. We right. should go do something else. Like yeah. you know? And I've learned the same as you, especially over the last few years. Especially like when I, I'd left my job and became an entrepreneur and like it was on my own and I just had to take action on things. I had to force myself to to do stuff because if I didn't right. do stuff, I didn't make money. I didn't, you know, pay my bills, and so I got in the habit of taking action. And I think one of the things that I've loved about this period of growth for me is that I don't feel the incessant need to take in a bunch of information anymore. Like I, I still love to learn, and I'll research things I find interesting. But there was always this like, this fear of I, I need more information before I can take this action. And I don't usually feel that anymore. It's like, I'm going to take this action, see how it goes. And then I can kind of learn in real time and access information in real time as I need it versus trying to think through everything, all the information I'm going to need beforehand and gather right. that before I take the action. Yeah. And that has been a, a real big breakthrough for me. And developing that habit of starting to take the action first, uh, because otherwise it's like you just said, man, you'll just sit and spin your wheels. Yeah. Like what, what information do you need to take the first step?
1: Right. That's all you need. And then you can figure out the information for the next step when you get there. I think that's been the major life changing change, just difference in, in process for me to decide on a new project or a new thing is it's like, what do I need for that first step? All right, got it. Let's do this and see what happens. And then you can kind of assess as you go on whether or not it's worthwhile. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's been life changing for me for sure. I feel like I can actually do things like make a podcast and hope that it ha- <laughs> hope that it works out and just but doing it well from the beginning and deciding, you know, and uh, deciding early on what are the first steps we need to make a good podcast. Right. Okay, let's go for that and then move on from there and evolve
0: right. as time goes on. Right. And I think we've done a good job with that. There were, yeah, there were a lot of things. The first time we set up, there were a lot of things that we both were not happy about. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of things we both wanted to make better, but yeah. we knew that if we waited for those, we probably would never hit record. Right. So we just hit record, and we're like, if we have a crappy video, then we have crappy video, and we did and a we couple did. episodes. <laughs> yeah, but the sure. the process has been really fun, and even if no one listens, like I've enjoyed this. So right, yeah. I don't know. And then, but then there's, I think there's something
1: tells me that people will listen and people will want to be a part of it. And maybe they'll feel like this is the first time people will get me and we can be a community together. And maybe we'll, we'll build something that we couldn't have done with anybody else and with in any other situation and maybe at any other time, because we've all been stuck in our houses for a year, you know?
0: And so I don't know. I think so as social fives, we're actually now building the elite group of, of people we want to hang out
1: with <laughs> instead yes. of trying to find them. We've now, we have now graduated or leveled up as the gamers would say. I love gaming. Um, we've now leveled up. We're no longer looking for the community. We're just creating it. Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah. That's the way to do it. That's what you should take away from this. <laughs> when you don't like something, create it and decide for yourself that that's what the world you're going to live in. Love it. I think it's a great place to stop. Yeah. Let's, uh, stop there. All right. Till next time. Until next time.
0: Hey, it's Josiah. And I wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode and you're the type of person who likes helping others, would you do us a favor and share it with other people like you? If you found value in this conversation, they will too. I also want to give a special thanks to our community members who shared their voice with us in this episode. If anything in this conversation has resonated with you, or if you have any further thoughts or questions, I want to invite you to join our community of other people like you and continue the conversation at Enneagram5.com.